This is Lena from Infected Rain. Brian Fair from Shadows Fall. Gary Hall from Exodus and recently retired from Slayer. Phil from Violence here. This is Trevor Sternad from the Black Dahlia Murder. This is Christian from Lions at the Gate. Yo, 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 Igor Cavalera here. Hey, this is Charlie with Anthrax. I just want to give a shout out to Pedalton and Metal Radio, the podcast. The podcast to get all your rock and metal news plus reviews. With new episodes dropping every Sunday, make sure you tune in. Keep rocking with Pedal to the Metal. Check it out now. Keep it metal. Alright, welcome everybody to another exciting edition of Pedal to the Metal Radio, the podcast. I'm your main man here, Eddie Monster, and we've got a great show for you guys this week. That's right, not only are we doing rock and metal news, not only do we have bands you should know artists, and not only do we have a top 10 list, we also have a review to do on the show. That's right, we are reviewing the new Randy Rhodes movie that just came out this past Friday, according to the date that this podcast was released, obviously. Uh, but nonetheless, we are reviewing that on the show, so pretty freaking excited for that. Uh, I just want to welcome you guys. It's been great. This is episode 98, or two away from 100. Got a lot of great stuff still ahead. Um, of course, if you want to follow the show, just click any of the links provided in the description and that will take you all to our facebook twitter instagram and even our blog page which has all the links to listen to any episodes new or archived whatever it may be you just click on any of those links and if you're in a band you can email us at pedal to the metal radio show at gmail.com again pedal to the metal radio show at gmail.com like i said whether you're in a band whether you're signed or unsigned you're a label you're a promoter Whatever it may be, you want your music played on the show, send the link right over, and we will check it out. So, we've got that top 10 list to go through, and we're doing 1998. Funny enough, it's episode 98, and we're covering albums from 98. Go figure. Uh, but 98 was an interesting year, because it was really, I think, the year that I had regained faith in metal, I remember that year I went to my very first concert ever, which was OzFest 98. I was so fucking pumped. Like, you had no idea. I had to convince and beg my mother to let me go to a, to a metal concert. I was 16 years old, um, and I was going to the concert with older kids, you know, that I went to school with uh, that, were, that were already graduated. Because I had always been friends with older kids. It just always seemed, you know, the thing. And uh, I remember just going to that show and just being fucking blown away. What an experience, first of all. What an experience going to a concert. You know, my very first one, it was like, holy shit, you know. And seeing Ozzy and seeing, you know, Soulfly and, and Limp Biscuit, Seven Dust, Coal Chamber. Uh, I believe Megadeth was on that bill. It was uh, it was quite the incredible, incredible night for damn sure. I had a lot of fun that day. Uh, but nonetheless, again, it's a year that I really started really getting in, back into uh, rock and metal for sure. It was 98 was like, that was it. I was back into it. There was no hesitations, nothing like that. 
Uh, so, of course, we start with the honorable mentions. And our honorable mentions for 1998 is uh, Chaos Fear by, Mish- uh, by Meshuggah. Volume 8, The Threat is Real by Anthrax. And Odd Fellows Rest by Crowbar. There you go, your honorable mentions. Now, at number 10, we've got the debut album by everybody's favorite fucking Viking metal band. That's right, I'm talking about Amarth. It's Once Sent from the Golden Hall. Dude, these guys have been badass since day one. You need to check that out. Uh, number nine, we've got Killing on Adrenaline by Dying Fetus. An album that just mixed so many different elements. These guys were just on target, on fire. You got a little bit of grind, death metal, some math metal, various other things all mixed into one. It, it proved for, for quite the recipe on this one. Um, and great titles. I mean, you know, Procreate the Malformed, Fornication Terrorists, couldn't say it better myself, and uh, Kill Your Mother, Rape Your Dog, because why not? Uh, at number eight, we've got Diablos and Musica by Slayer. I remember distinctly it was Ozfest 99. And I had no idea at the time that Slayer still made music. I just always remembered. You know, uh, I always remembered Slayer because my brother was into Slayer. And I just always remember Rain and Blood, South of Heaven. um, And just always thinking like, man, you know, Slayer's still around. And then remember seeing them at OzFest 99 and seeing the banner come down. And it's that guy on the cover of Diablos and Musica. And he just fucking freaked me the fuck out. Um you know, it almost, I almost felt guilty looking at it and being like, oh, my God, you know, this is Slayer. They're badass. Uh, but nonetheless, I always loved this record. It was kind of like, I mean, Slayer gets accused of kind of taking a new metal feel. Whatever. It's badass. Check it out. Uh, number seven, we've got Amongst the Catacombs of Nefren Ka by Nile. Just some great shit. Some great death metal from these guys from South Carolina. They just knew what the fuck they were doing. And, uh, you know, great stuff. Beneath Eternal Oceans of Sand. It's fucking amazing shit. Uh, Number six, we've got The Chemical Wedding by Bruce Dickinson. Now, if you weren't convinced by the previous record, which was on my top ten list of 1997, Accident of Birth, then 1998's The Chemical Wedding was the exact weapon Bruce Dickinson needed to prove to Iron Maiden that he didn't really fucking need them. With assistance from Roy Z and his fellow exiled Iron Maiden guitar player Adrian Smith, they just they were on a war path to crush Maiden, who came out with Virtual Nine, I believe this the same year. I believe Virtual Nine was released. And that was complete shit. But nonetheless, there you go. Uh, number five, we got The Sounds of Perseverance by Death. I mean, what more can I say about the brilliance of Death? But this would ultimately be the last album, I believe, that Death would ever do because, you know, he was trying to do his Control Denied stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of great, great stuff on here. He really experimented 
So, I mean, check it out. Bite the pain, a moment of clarity. Great shit. Uh, number four, we've got My Arms, Your Hearse by Opeth. A lot of people, a lot of different lists had this at number one. I didn't have it at number one. Because um, I didn't become an Opeth fan till very, very, very late. I want to say probably not up until five years ago. So these guys have never really been on my radar, although I've always known who they were. I know there's a lot of brilliance behind them, and this album is is the proof needed to, to figure that out, that there's a lot of brilliance um, behind Opeth. So, you know, take it for what it is. And my top three is probably going to be controversial to a lot of people. But you know what? This is me rediscovering metal at the time. So at number three, System of a Down, self-titled debut. Say what you want. These guys were fucking out of control and crazy. And they were kind of like, if you hated new metal, they were the band that people liked from that new metal scene. Uh, number two, I got Soulfly by Soulfly. I don't have to say more. This is Roots Continued. And this is Roots Improved. You know, by Max Cavalera and company. Fucking check it out. And at number one, he's my favorite artist by far because he's my favorite Renaissance man. And I say Renaissance man because he's done so many things. Comic books. He's done films. You guys may know him from such movies as House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, Lords of Salem, Three from Hell. I mean, I can go on and on. Halloween, one, two, so on and so forth. But I'm talking about Rob Zombie and Hellbilly Deluxe. This was such a hungry, hungry record. Uh, Riggs and Blasco, dude, just going to town. Man, this shit was epic. Every fucking song on this record is just fucking epic from beginning to end. I don't care. Super Beast all the way on. Just really, truly amazing stuff. And that's why I have it at number one. Because I feel like you want to get into Rob Zombie and know what his best records are. It's Hellbilly Deluxe. Definitely is one of those top albums. And The Sinister Urge, you'll see later on that that is also an important record to me. But nonetheless, that is my top ten of 1998. And now it's time to get into our first Bands You Should Know artist. And our first band is an old-school death thrash metal kind of band, and they re-recorded some classics from their early days, spawning like around 2006 to 2009. So if you're a fan of Carcass, Destroyer 666, December, Dissection, Got the Throne Creator, and many, many more, you're going to fucking love these guys. I'm talking about Blasphemous Creation, and here they are on Pedal to the Metal Radio, the podcast with Beyond the Grave.
All right, welcome back, everybody. So I wanted to take the time right now to speak about the documentary that I just recently watched. And for those of you out there that didn't know, so this past Friday, uh, Amazon released Randy Rhodes' Reflections of a Guitar Icon uh, recently for everybody to watch. And it's a it's a great documentary. I'm going to start off by saying that it's a great documentary. It was uh, it's narrated by Tracy Guns, and it features interviews with Ozzy, obviously, um, various members of Quiet Riot and the early era of Quiet Riot. So, not really Carlos Cavazo, even though he's in the credits thanked. And I didn't really understand why. I don't remember seeing Carlos Cavazo in the uh, in in this whole thing, but nonetheless, so it's the early edition. So a lot of the early guys. Um, so Randy's guitar tech um, from the Quiet Riot days was interviewed in this. Uh, his best friend was interviewed in this. His girlfriend was interviewed in this. Um, and then it features, you know, you know, uh, sound bits from, you know, guys like Joel, Ho Joel Hoxtra, John Donace, Bruce Kulick, Doug Aldrich, uh, Dweezil Zappa, George Lynch, Gary Moore. Those guys kind of leave, you know, uh, their lasting impressions of, of Randy. But the one thing that, that I, I, I really liked about this documentary was the fact that it it went into great detail about Quiet Riot. I think more so than their Behind the Music special ever did. Because their Behind the Music special didn't really cover too much of the Randy Rhodes years. And it could be due to, obviously, his, his mom. Could have been due to that. But nonetheless... Um, and it could be due to the fact that, I mean, even back then, Kevin DeBrow was very protective of Randy. Randy was, you know, and you'll see in this in this documentary that Randy was his whole world. You know, he idolized Randy Rhodes even from the first moment he met him. And it, Randy probably, you know, was the best guitar player he ever worked with. But. There's some interesting facts that you learn about later on and what the decision for Randy wanting to leave Quiet Riot to join Ozzy Osbourne, you know, that whole thing. Because if, you know, here's the thing. The great thing about this documentary, too, is they go into great detail about the Eddie Van Halen versus Randy Rhodes rivalry. Oh, yeah, this was real. This was a real thing. So Quiet Riot as a band, you got to remember, they predated a lot of your 80s bands. Even though their biggest hit came in 1983, right, with Come On, Feel the Noise and Metal Health, Bang Your Head. They predated all your 80s bands by at least five years. They were around well before a lot of those bands. They were established before Motley Crue. They were established well before Dawkins or Rat. They're around the same time as Van Halen. So the, the, the great thing about this documentary is it goes into that whole aspect of, you know, what L.A. was like when it was Eddie versus Randy. And this was a real rivalry. But here's the funny thing. 
Eddie always felt that, you know, hey, he ain't doing anything I haven't already done. And that was Eddie's attitude towards the whole subject. But Randy was a, was kind of quiet about it. And here's the thing that, in my opinion, make, made him a better person than Eddie Van Halen is the fact that his students, not knowing that there was a rivalry between the two, would come up to Randy and they would say, hey, you know, I want to learn how to play this song and guitar. And, of course, it's, you know, Van Halen 1. Because essentially, here's the thing. Essentially, Van Halen won the battle because they were signed first. And that's what it's all about, is being signed first. And Quiet Riot could not land a record deal. So Randy being Randy and being the bigger man learned the Van Halen songs so that he could teach his his students. And that is one of the cool things is you actually get to hear in this documentary, you get to hear Randy playing on fire, running with the devil. It's it's kind of it's kind of cool, man. It's kind of cool. You know what I mean? In that aspect. But then there's that so you learn about this this rivalry between Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and how real it was in LA at the time because for a while you know Van Halen ruled the LA scene and then Choir Raya finally got there and they were the stars of the Starwood and they played all the time and and but unfortunately for some reason they couldn't get signed to a record deal I mean, they, their old drummer even highlighted the fact that their manager kept sending Atlantic Records, you know, a different demo almost every time. And then finally at the end, Atlantic sent them, a, uh, you know, they would each letter would say, we're passing on this, we're passing on this, you know, hard pass. To finally the end, he said the final letter said pass, 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 pass. In case you didn't understand what that meant the first time. You know. So obviously there was something. But in the end you learn. And I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to spoil any details for you guys as to why Randy left. But there's an obvious reason why Randy left. And it's pretty obvious. There's more creative freedom with Ozzy Osbourne. But you'll get you'll get into it. And and there's like there's that side where you know the the, the past members of Quiet Riot kind of talk about it and they're kind of like, well, you know, it, it we thought he was going to be around. He made it sound like he was coming back, you know, various things like that. So, they go into that. They briefly touch on the Ozzy years, briefly. I feel like the main focus of the documentary is all about Quiet Riot. But they they touch on, you know, Randy joining, you know, uh, what the process was sort of like, you know, them trying to come up with songs, um, you know, very brief stuff. I have to kind of agree with this. I think there could have been things that could have been added to this documentary. Because I feel like there was a licensing issue that had to have been going on 
because you don't hear you heard a lot of the of the quiet riot music in this documentary you didn't really hear a lot of the Aussie music you know not a lot from Blizzard of Oz or even Diary of a Madman you do hear others covering Randy's stuff they show videos of that but you don't get a lot of that but some of the things I think they they could have done a little bit better is is interviewing I think Tracy Guns should have been interviewed for this I think a lot of the focus really should have been on his students I really do I really think there should have been a part because Joel Holmes was a former Randy student Tracy Guns is a former Randy student you know what I mean you could have gotten mixed engineers and producers right and you could have even interviewed employees of, of, of Jackson Guitars explaining, you know, his his world-famous Flying Vs. But other than that, it, it is definitely a great documentary and, and one that I'm glad that I got to watch. Those are my only things. You know what I mean? Like, I think if you are an absolute fan of Ozzy and Randy Rhodes or just Randy Rhodes in general and you wanted to know more and you wanted to see footage that you never thought was available before right I mean there is a ton of live footage of Randy and Quiet Riot so if you want to see some of that stuff then this is definitely the documentary for you to watch right and it's only $4.99 if you want to rent it on Amazon, so it's not a big fucking deal. Come on, you know what I mean. And I have access for the next thirty-five hours if I want to watch this documentary again. So I probably am going to. That's how. That's how good this documentary was. So check it out, Randy Rhodes: Reflections of a Guitar of a Guitar Icon, right now on Amazon Prime. You will not regret it. I guarantee that it's directed by Andre Rellis. Rudy Sarzo's in it too, and Rudy, you know, taught, one of the one of the things that I thought was was a touch you never saw before was Rudy talking about what it was like after Randy's death. You know what I mean? Like, because they continued on that tour and they finished the rest of that tour. You know what I mean? And then you hear... And then some of the cool things you, you hear from uh, from Kevin DeBrow's mom. You know what I mean? She kind of tells what Kevin went through when he found out Randy's death. Stuff like that. Part of me wishes I had a time machine and I could go back in time and tell Randy, don't get on that plane. Right? But how many of us would, you know... If we had a time machine, how many of us would like, you know, love to see the future altered? But anyways, so like I said, check it out. Randy Rhodes, Reflections of a Guitar Icon. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, it's rock and metal news time here on Pedal to the Metal Radio, the podcast. I knew virtually nothing about Alzheimer's or any sort of brain issues until one day my wife 
started to do things that were atypical. Sudden outbursts, uh, becoming repetitive and asking questions. You have this tapestry just creating who you are based on 100 billion nerve cells and hundreds of trillions of connections mm -hmm. making a network. And this disease comes in and every day relentlessly, insidiously just tears that tapestry apart. If you've got a heart and if you care about people, you don't want to see anybody go through this. And that's why I'm more optimistic than ever that we're on our way to eradicating this disease with early prediction, early detection, early intervention. Find out more at curealz.org. It's time for Rock and Metal News, presented by Eddie Monster. I hate to start Rock and Metal News out like this, but I want to talk about something, because it's, it's quite funny to me how Limp Bizkit's had sort of this resurgence of sorts. And it's very frustrating to me. Not that they've had a resurgence, because that's not frustrating to me. What's frustrating to me is that I guarantee about 50% of these people that are going to Limp Bizkit concerts are the same 50% that for a long time were chanting out things like, fuck Limp Bizkit, Limp Bizkit sucks, why the fuck, ugh, it's so corny, stuff like that. And it's just very frustrating because I've been a Limp Bizkit fan since day one, let me tell you. But whatever. It is cool to see, you know, obviously Limp's having some fun on this tour that they're on. And, and I uh, totally forgot they were in town and uh, I missed the show. But in Wilkes-Barre, he brought up a fan to do Killing in the Name of... Uh, I believe in another show he brought up a fan to do My Generation. You know, so he's having fun, and they're having fun, and the fans are having fun at these shows, so you got to kind of give it to them. You know what I mean? So I'm not, you know, not acting bitter or anything. I just, I hate fakeness, and I hate how all of a sudden when, when a band is deemed to be cool again, you know, or it's deemed to, you know, that it's cool to like a band again, that all of a sudden everybody is on the bandwagon, right? Like I remember, for example, the 80s scene. Oh, how many people in the 90s were like, oh, man, the fucking 80s were horrible, bro. They good fucking, you know, hairspray and makeup and fucking, uh, you know, and the male bravado started coming out because fucking Nirvana, man, you know, and fucking Pearl Jam, you know, and all this shit. And then all of a sudden... In the 2000s, the early 2000s, it's fucking cool to like hair metal again. Because all of a sudden, you know, Motley Crue's selling out fucking TD Garden and, and all these other places. And, and, you know, and Poison's doing their yearly fucking, you know, yearly tour. And it was just mad frustrating because I liked the fucking 80s. And in 2000, when I was on the radio, when I finally got a chance to be on the radio at college in 2000... I was playing 80s metal, right? I was flying the flag for 80s metal for a long time, right? 
So it just kind of frustrated me because it was like, fuck you guys. You sane people that were dissing the shit out of 80s metal are now the ones going to all the 80s concerts. Very frustrating. But you know what? That's the, the that's just the name of the game. It's trends. You know what I mean? Whatever's trendy, people will follow. So if it's cool to like Limp Bizkit again, guess what? It's cool to like Limp Bizkit again. If it's cool to like 80s hair metal, well, guess what? It's fucking cool to like 80s hair metal again. You know what I mean? And the same thing is going to go on and on and on. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, it's going to be cool to like metalcore. You know, or like, you know, I don't know. There might be a period where people hate Bullet For My Valentine, and then all of a sudden, it's going to be cool to fucking like them again. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I, I just needed to, I just needed to fucking vent about that a little bit. You know what I mean? All right, 96 Bitter Beings, the band that features XCKY members, announces that they have a new label, album, and a tour. That's right. CK frontman Darren Miller is saying that 2022 is going to be one hell of a year. The band signed to Nuclear Blast. They've got, uh, they're have got. they about to release their sophomore album, Synergy Restored, sometime later this year. And the band is going to be hitting the road with Howling Giant. Starting in July. So if you don't know who who Darren Miller is, he started CKY back in 1998. And he was a member of the band until 2011. So whatever. But uh, yeah. So catch uh, 96 Bitter Beings. Their tour starts July 21st in Portland, Oregon. When they play Dante's. And then Howling Giant starts with them on July 25th. In Salt Lake City, Utah at the loading dock. And that's going all the way to August 21st when they play the Whiskey A Go-Go in West Hollywood, California. Oh, yeah. They got some cool dates around around me. Like they're playing the Alchemy in Providence. Not bad. Not bad. All right. Paul Barra has declared that they are in the studio Getting ready to write music in a humid summer in Arkansas. That's right, because things are going to get fucking heavy for these doom metal dealers who are working on their fifth studio album. That's right. And here's what Mark Lairly had to say. After seemingly endless obstacles, we are equally thrilled and relieved to announce that tracking has begun for our next record. So there you go. If you're a fan of Paul Barra, be on the lookout. Uh, The band is celebrating their 10th anniversary of their Sorrow and Extinction record, which uh, they're going to be touring with a European tour. And is what they said. We'll be celebrating a decade of Sorrow and Extinction over the course of 2022. It's a momentous occasion for us to have this album turn 10. Thank you to everyone who's been with us from then to now. So there you go. Make sure you're on the lookout for tour dates, uh, especially if you're living in Europe. You're going to want to see this. They plan a lot of dates in Czech Republic, Germany, a lot of dates in Germany, actually, they, with some dates in the Netherlands, France, and even the U.K. So be on the lookout for that for sure. All right. In more studio news, Scott Ian says that a new Anthrax record should be out sometime in 2023. That's right. The band is hard at work. But before that, they are touring this summer with Black Label Society in Hatebreed to, to celebrate the band's belated 40th birthday. Remember, touring troubles. 
Here's what Scott Ian said. We didn't get the tour in 2021, so we're doing the 40th anniversary tour in our 40, 41st year. Obviously, we couldn't go out last year and do it when we wanted to, so we've got this summer run coming up with Black Label Society and Hatebreed, and we're calling that part of our 40th anniversary. We've got 40th anniversary dates in Europe after that in the fall, and who knows? I like to think this U.S. run with Black Label Society is going to do pretty well, and maybe we get to do a second run of those dates at some point early next year. And then I'm sure next year at some point there should be a record depending on when we get in the studio. And, um, you know, he's promising that, you know, with the next record he'll make fans happy. Not to make a weird comparison, but it's our third record back together with Joey. Actually, it's an odd comparison. I should just say it's our third album since our kind of reboot in 2010 and our third album back in the day was Among the Living. I'm not saying that this is because it's not Among the Living 2 in any sense, but I just think we have some great songs and there's a fucking mountain of great riffs. I think people are going to be very happy. There you go. And if you haven't caught them, make sure you get your tickets. Their tour starts July 26th in Phoenix, Arizona, and it runs all the way to August 28th at the Fillmore in Philadelphia. And the funny thing is they're part of the uh, Tattoo the Earth Festival in Worcester, which is August 27th. But if you look at tour dates, you won't see that. But nonetheless, uh, great news. Cattle Decapitation is currently in the studio, and they are working with Dave Otero once again. It's going to be fucking awesome. But they said the record won't be out until 2023 as well. Here's what they said. We've been in the recording studio for the last couple of weeks, and the drum tracks for our next record are now done. We've teamed up once again with Flatline Audio with Dave Otero in Westminster, Colorado, and we're now in the middle of tracking guitars. I'm excited. I really loved Cattle Decapitation's last record, so I am definitely, definitely looking out for that when that comes out in 2023. Uh, if you're a fan of Power Trip, the Power Trip guitarists say, keep your eyes peeled. For new music from the band That's right We know that Riley Gale passed away Unfortunately in August 2020 But the band Finally broke their silence In 2021 Saying that Power Trip Does does want to does, Basically they want to continue on They're just not sure What it was going to look like Basically uh, But Blake Ibanez Recently did an interview With Banger TV And And uh, Got a lot of music, a lot of songs in the tank, so keep your eyes peeled for what that becomes. I think everybody here, especially that enjoyed Nightmare Logic, will really like it. Next thing, spent a lot of time working on it in the last few years. I'm doing another side project just kind of while I wait for things to fall into place with all that. That'll be more thrash. It's a little more down-tuned to D on the guitar. So I'm going to do a band that'll be coming out pretty soon. People that like all the Power Trip stuff, they'll then they'll be excited for what's coming. I can't say what it is or exactly what it isn't going to be, but the plan right now is for it to continue. So it's all I can really say right now. So there you go. If you love Power Trip, be on the lookout for that. Um, crazy news. Ozzy Osbourne's daughter, Amy, the hot one that you never really get to see in anything, 
because she avoided um, all the reality television. Recently just escaped a fire. Kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Um, Apparently unclear at this time if the building was in fact up to code or not. But apparently the building she lived in caught on fire. Uh, Today, and here's what Sharon said. Today my daughter was working in a recording studio at this building with a producer. They are the lucky two that made it out alive. It is utterly heartbreaking that someone lost their life today in this fire. And we are sending our prayers to this person and their family. What happened today was beyond horrific. I really hope moving forward that buildings like this are better regulated for fire safety. This building was a creative hub for music in Hollywood, a space that should have been regulated for fire code. Producers, musicians, mixers, and artists also lost all of their equipment. Once again, our prayers go out to the family and friends of the person that lost their life to the seamless, senseless fire. Excuse me. Um, so sorry, it was it was a recording studio that she was in because uh, I did forget that she does make music. I did forget that about Amy Osborne. Uh, nonetheless. Glad that she's okay. Unfortunately, my condolences to the person that lost their life to their uh, obviously condolences to their family. Uh, Tribulation wins their second Swedish Grammys award, which for you guys that don't know, the Grammys is the Swedish equivalent to the Grammys. And uh, yeah, the band won for their album in 2018 for Down Below. This time, where the gloom becomes sound, they've been honored yet again. And the band said, humbled and grateful for another Grammys. Thank you all for the support. Tribulation. They're a badass band, let me tell you. Love Tribulation. Uh, I am somebody who, man, I love believing in the suspense of not knowing, you know, who's in who's in a band and who's not in a band, especially if they wear makeup or masks or whatever the case may be, but... The photographer Ghost just recently revealed the band's current live lineup, and it kind of just ruins things for me. You know what I mean? Like, so now we know who's in the band: Chris Catalyst from the Sisters of Mercy, Per Erickson, who used to be in Bloodbath and Catatonia, Carl Silva, Hayden Scott, Judy Taylor, Laura Scarborough, Matt Gallica, and Sophie Amelkin. So there you go. I'm just kind of disappointed in knowing that, you know, they were, they were revealed. So um, bands will, you know, will usually take one photo. I don't know if they do it at the end of a tour or if they do it at the beginning. But, you know, it's like a huge group photo, like a yearbook photo kind of thing. So in the photo is obviously Uncle Ass and the Deadbeats, Twin Temple. They're in it along with Ghost. Um, the whole crew gets involved. It's a, it's a huge picture, and uh, it's kind of kind of fucking cool if you ask me. But nonetheless, um, yeah. And apparently, you know, somebody actually took the time and identified every member of of Ghost that was in that picture. So there you go. Uh, that's gonna do it for Rock and Metal News for this week. It is time now. Time to get into our last band you should know artist. All right, the band that we have for you guys for our second band you know, artist has been on quite a roll since reforming in 2011. That's right, I'm talking about Swedish thrash metal legends Protector, who are here with a brand new album called Excessive Outburst of Depravity, which is going to be coming out on July 1st, 2022. 
So be on the lookout for that. And we are here to play a single from these guys right now. So you better be ready because here comes Protector with Pandemic Misery right here on Pedal to the Metal Radio, the podcast. And as always, I will see you guys next week. But for now, enjoy. Enjoy. 